everyone, and welcome to Mental Reality. This is Dr. Beach. Thanks for listening. And today we're going to talk about the very important epidemic of meth or methamphetamine. And why this is such an important topic is that it's wrecking a lot of havoc and trauma on users, their loved ones and family members, as well as society in general. And here with me to talk about this public health crisis is Dr. Ryan Salahi, who is a psychiatrist and the lead psychiatrist in an emergency psychiatric unit. Welcome to the program, Dr. Salahi. Thank you. Uh, hi, Dr. Beach. Thanks for having me. And one of the main reasons I thought it was really important to have someone like you for this episode is that you really work on the front line on a day-to-day -day basis with people who are using meth and dealing with this tragedy. So why don't you start by telling our listeners a little bit about the work you do. So uh, I am a psychiatrist uh, and a medical doctor trained, uh, and I did my residency in psychiatry at Temple University in Philadelphia. Uh, I focus primarily in emergency psychiatry. I work in uh, an emergency psychiatric unit or uh, commonly referred to as a PES or psychiatric emergency service uh, crisis center. They have many names where we deal with uh, the seriously mentally ill patients uh, who are brought to us a number of ways, either involuntarily through uh, the state's involuntarily, involuntary mental health laws, uh, voluntarily brought in by families, uh, loved ones, uh, friends, um, brought in as uh, drop-offs from jail. Uh, we have people that uh, come in uh, on their own, intoxicated, asking for help. Um, but uh, more and more, as of, as of the past several years, we're seeing an increase in the amount of uh, methamphetamine intoxicated patients presenting to our emergency service. I mean, just from what you've said, even without having met the people you're describing, it sounds like a real vulnerability in that. You literally take all comers. We're not uh, able to turn anybody away. We treat everybody who comes through our doors. And um, unfortunately, due to a number of external factors, including changes in the laws regarding substance use, um, changes in prison reform and uh, uh, county and state uh, jail uh, reform, we're seeing increasing numbers of uh, violent, intoxicated patients brought to us that poses several problems for both uh, doctors, nurses, as well as logistics for uh, our hospital. So why don't we start by helping our listeners understand what is meth? Yeah, uh, that is a huge problem. Um, the days of the backyard methamphetamine labs that everybody have grown accustomed to on TV shows where they explode and uh, you know cause injury. They, they were producing very small quantities of very impure methamphetamines and uh, a, a lot of the uh, cartel-based uh, methamphetamines uh, uh, is what they call quote-unquote super meth, uh, up to 98% pure. Uh, almost double the purity of methamphetamine created in a backyard lab or trailer, um, like Breaking Bad or something like that. Uh, so we're seeing an increased number uh, of seizures, increased amounts of methamphetamine, and increased purity, all leading to increased availability, lower cost, um, and it's fueling this epidemic. 
Uh, methamphetamine is a stimulant. Uh, it, uh, it blocks the reuptake of uh, dopamine and norepinephrine, similar to cocaine. Um, and people use it by snorting it, uh, smoking it, injecting or shooting it. Um, they can ingest it. Um, uh, and it goes by a number of different names. Ice, meth, speed, blue, tina, crank, shards, glass. And uh, when you mentioned it uh, blocks the reuptake, uh, meaning that it increases those neurotransmitters in the brain and that causes a pleasure. Correct. So dopamine, we all know, is the pleasure chemical in the brain. Um, and it's meant in physiologic amounts to create pleasure. But by introducing a stimulant like methamphetamine or cocaine, it blocks the reuptake. So you have increased amounts available for the body to feel. So if someone were to uh, snort or inject meth, what would be some of the signs and symptoms you would see? So initially, it's uh, ex extremely pleasurable. Um, I've had it described to me as the best feeling on earth, uh, better than sex. Um, the, there are some physical signs where they, the patients will start sweating, uh, but they might get a little bit fidgety. They have trouble sitting still. Uh, but from a, a central nervous system uh, perspective, they feel euphoric, uh, invincible. Uh, they have an increased libido, uh, urges for sex. Um, uh, it curbs your appetite, um, decreased need for sleep, um, and overall, just a feeling of invincibility like they can do anything. And how long does that, you take meth, how long does that high last, that initial high? So that's where the danger is with methamphetamines, is the length of action. Uh, something like a, a similar amount of cocaine ingested, uh, either intranasally or injected, will last minutes to, at the most, an hour or two. Uh, methamphetamines, the same amount, can last up to a day or longer. So you mentioned some of the short-term effects, including the more pleasurable effects. And then when does it become a problem? So, unfortunately, the, we've all heard the, the term chasing the high or chasing the dragon. Um, uh, no hit is, is, feels as good as that first uh, initial high. Uh, nothing, uh, it, it's no different with methamphetamines. And patients never feel as high as they do that first time. But repeated administration of amphetamines uh, will reliably induce psychosis. Uh, hallucinations and delusions. It's been shown in laboratory experiments. In fact, it's the gold standard for creating um, psychotic symptoms in laboratory animals. Tell me a little bit more about that. So uh, in studies where they want to uh, uh, reproduce psychotic symptoms with reliable uh, uh, with reliability, they repeatedly administer amphetamines or other stimulants to laboratory animals so that they can test antipsychotic medications. Um, so patients who use methamphetamines or cocaine, but primarily methamphetamines because of the length of action, um, over a period of days or even a week or longer will not sleep. Um, they're, uh, they begin becoming extremely paranoid, uh, isolate, isolative, uh, delusional. They can start hallucinating. Uh, everybody on the street that they look at they believe is out to get them. The even bizarre delusions where they feel that there are things under their skin leading to scratching and picking. If you've ever noticed someone with methamphetamine who has 
uh, sores all over their face. It's not a direct effect of the drug, but it's the behavior caused by uh, chronic use. You'll also see other physical symptoms like uh, what they call to what they refer to as meth mouth. Correct. So it it does create dry mouth uh, or xerostomia, as we say in, in medicine, but um, it's really the overstimulation and uh, the same way uh, people who take methamphetamines uh, don't feel the need for sleep. They don't feel the need for nutrition or fluids or hydration. So uh, that exacerbates the problem. They get extremely dry mouth and their uh, also their personal hygiene suffers. So uh, they have horrible dental ca caries or cavities um, and uh, to the point where we'll see uh, a, someone in their 20s with essentially no teeth left in their mouth or several, three or four or five teeth that are just rotted to the root. So with, with all drugs, it's common to talk about if people use for a prolonged period of time that they develop what we call a tolerance to the drug, meaning they need more of the drug to get the same effect that they used to. And if they don't use the drug for a while, they can get characteristic symptoms of withdrawal, which reinforce the pattern of use and the cycle of addiction. But with meth, it sounds like it's, it's even more powerful and that ability to kind of stop is even more difficult. Correct. So there, while there are no models that demonstrate uh, uh, acute withdrawal uh, symptoms being dangerous, uh, the uh, common understanding in addiction medicine is withdrawal symptoms are the opposite of the intoxication symptoms. So, for example, someone who takes a sedative to sleep if for, and they become dependent or addicted to it in withdrawal, they'll become hypervigilant and agitated and anxious. So in, in methamphetamine, something that stimulates you, the withdrawal, they're extremely lethargic, their mood is down, they're depressed. Uh, it, it's called a crash, and almost 100% of patients feel like they want to kill themselves when they crash from methamphetamines, which then fuels the need to re-administer and go out and get more and continue using and ultimately uh, leads them to these binges where they end up uh, for days or weeks on end using and uh, psychotic and end up in our hospital. Right now, when we grew up, I recall people thinking of the most serious addictive drug as, drug as being heroin, and particularly right. if you injected heroin. Are you, are you saying that the, the super meth you're talking about is even more addictive than heroin? Absolutely. So uh, traditional uh, teachings when I trained in residency and medical school was that uh, heroin and opiates were the most addictive uh, drugs that we really knew of with uh, uh, horrendous relapse rates in the 40-some uh, percent and long-term sobriety rates were abysmal. Uh, with methamphetamines, the, re the relapse rate is 88%. Uh, more alarming is that for the uh, many of our patients, which are the chronic daily heavy methamphetamine users, the average lifespan is less than 10 years, probably closer to six or seven years, which means we're seeing patients die in their 20s, 30s, 40s, uh, uh, tragic, horrible uh, deaths uh, with little that we can do to stop them. I mean, and certainly depending on where you work and where you live, there's also a huge opioid epidemic. Um, but it can depend on where you live. And, you know, where we live, we see a lot more, a lot more of the methamphetamines than we do opioids. Now, 
opioids, people will often talk about kind of feeling elated or being quote unquote on cloud nine, but how a patient on opioids would present to the emergency room versus someone on meth is very different. Correct. So op the opioid epidemic is a very real thing for a number of reasons that we, we don't have to get into here, but uh, um, in San Diego, we're uh, not really experiencing an epidemic of opioids. There, there's a problem, but it's remained relatively flat. The number of deaths from opioid use should be zero, and none are tolerable, but uh, it's not uh, anywhere near the numbers we're seeing uh, skyrocketing, exponentially increasing every year, the number of deaths from methamphetamines. In fact, in 2017, I believe we had close to 13,000 deaths uh, due to methamphetamine use. You already alluded to it, but one of the big challenges that society has and we have in the work we do is the extreme danger and violence that people on meth can pose. Perhaps you could tell us uh, some examples of where you and your colleagues and society is struggling with that problem. Sure. We have uh, increased in our hospital alone. The number of aggressive and assaultive acts ha has skyrocketed. Uh, if I could share a personal anecdote, about a year and a half ago, a patient under the influence was uh, brought into the hospital and uh, ultimately ended up assaulting me, uh, requiring emergency surgery uh, to repair uh, my shoulder. And because, it, uh, because drug addiction uh, and intoxication is viewed under the law currently uh, as a mental health issue, there is very little appetite for prosecution for any of these uh, assaults or violent acts. So you, if you can take a drug that people will forego food uh, for, they'll uh, disavow their family, they'll steal from people, their loved ones, um, they'll go to jail, they'll lose their housing, their jobs, their relationships, their children in favor of this drug. They're, there's almost nothing that they won't do to get more of this drug. It shows the addictiveness uh, and the danger with methamphetamines. Patients, yeah, I just want to just want to go back to something you said. You mean you kind of glossed over it, but you described a very serious assault on yourself requiring surgery. Right. And I think you know when I heard that, that's really striking and really serious. Yet you continue to put yourself, you know, quote unquote, in the line of fire. How how do people do that? Unfortunately, uh, society and uh, many mental health workers from uh, line staff, me mental health uh, uh, workers, nurses, doctors, ancillary staff have become almost resigned to the fact that this is the way it is. And that's something we're trying to change, the culture of acceptance of this uh, type of behavior of violence and aggression. And we're working uh, diligently with local law enforcement to prosecute uh, serious uh, assaults and aggressive acts. But in the meantime, it does create a, almost a, a sense that this is what we signed up for. Uh, and society also believes that these are mentally ill people that need mental health treatment when the reality is they need substance abuse treatment. Right, and it, it's complicated because, of course, substance use is a mental illness, uh, which is, you know, and sometimes I'm sure why people are, you know, coming to our hospital. But 
also the assault you described is a crime and no one should be subjected to that and kind of what i'm hearing is you know i'm not hearing a lot of hope for people who get addicted to meth given how strong it is and we don't see that many people being able to success to successfully get off meth and then i don't hear a lot with you know our healthcare practitioners in terms of them having a lot of hope that they're able to kind of really help people in that struggle that's very true we have a limited armamentarium of of treatments uh, aside from the traditional aa 12 uh, uh, na 12-step program there's no fda approved medication or treatment for methamphetamine dependence and unfortunately even a long-term rehabilitation inpatient rehabilitation facility that treats someone and gets them abstinent and sober and teaches them about uh, living free from uh, methamphetamine use They've burnt so many bridges by this point, family, friends, uh, professional relationships. uh, They have nowhere to live. They have no means of supporting themselves. They probably have several felonies under their belt, so their ability to uh, obtain gainful employment is less. So even if we get them into a long-term rehabilitation facility, on the other end, if there isn't support for housing, job training, reintegration into society, uh, the likelihood is these patients will end up on the street, homeless, and back on methamphetamines. That, that's so sad and tragic. It is. And let, let's just fantasize for a moment that there, there was a treatment or we could get people off methamphetamines. I mean, what would we really be dealing with if we got people off the meth? What would be underlying at the root cause? I mean, to me, one of the things that comes to mind is I'm sure a lot of people have had a lot of adverse experiences and trauma and that many might be using meth in order to cope with that trauma or treat that trauma. Absolutely. Uh, Addiction is a complex illness and rarely exists in a vacuum. Uh, Most people, uh, once you get them abstinent for a period of time and they're able to introspect, There have been serious adverse childhood experiences, whether it be physical, sexual, emotional abuse, um, uh, other traumas, uh, but uh, we're unable to even scratch the surface of these underlying uh, causalities because of the extreme addictive nature of methamphetamines and the, the cycle, the vicious cycle that they're in of homelessness, stimulant use, and uh Uh, arrest, law enforcement involvement, and hospitalization, and then they're put right back out on the street to start the cycle all over again. I mean, it sounds like right now it's very sad that our approach, for lack of any better option, is very reactive and detention, whether that be in a psychiatric hospital briefly or incarceration, and there's a real revolving door to that with patients recirculating and kind of never really never really finding much improvement or any improvement over time. Very true. There, there is a little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel, which is a good thing always. Let's hear that. So uh, we work, like I mentioned earlier, with law, local law enforcement lieutenants, with the, both the sheriffs and uh, the police department, uh, parole, probation, as well as PERT, which is our psychiatric emergency response team, uh, a group of clinicians that work with police officers in the field to help identify patients with mental illness. And as there used to be a problem with 
public intoxication with alcohol, uh, the the county and the city created a program called the SIP, S-I-P, or Serial Inebriate Program, where they would offer people who are arrested for public intoxication treatment, uh, detox and rehab, and uh, full exposure to uh, all of the treatments available. And then if they failed and were found to be drunk in public again, they were incarcerated for 30 days, then 60 days, then 90 days if it happens over, over and over. And the city has created a new program called PLEADS, um, and it is a uh, it's it's very analogous to the SIP or serial inebriate program, but for methamphetamines. And they're using the three strike model, where patients will have three attempts at uh, offers at treatment uh, or hospitalization or any combination thereof. And after that, they'll begin arresting. And sometimes, given the extreme addictive nature of methamphetamines, unfortunately, forced sobriety due to thirty day incarceration is the only is is the only time and the longest time that some of these people have been sober for years. Because most of the time when we talk about models for rehab or addiction, we think about people have to be willing to change themselves. They require some level of motivation. But applying those kind of basic tenets of addiction clearly is not working for the vast majority of the meth users we're talking about. So the models that you're talking about sound quite promising because they incorporate legal leverage or, you know, uh, some incentives for people to keep their behavior in check and get treatment. Right. Yeah, given the uh, extreme addictive nature of methamphetamine and the current uh, formulation of this super meth that we're seeing, uh, it's not reasonable to think that people will be able to find uh, the resources within themselves to want to get sober. Uh, unfortunately, it's not a character failing. It's just a fact of the potency of this drug. And um, it requires some some quick thinking and uh, new approaches to in, or, in order to get some uh, results. I mean, what would be really good, that sounds the most hopeful of our discussion so far, but I think what would be even more hopeful moving forward is if we could move and shift towards more of a preventative model. And fortunately, there is some great work that's being done in other countries like the United Kingdom, Canada, and Australia, where they're trying to identify personality factors in school-age kids. Because we know, for example, there are, are four personality factors in the literature shown to be related to subsequent addictive behaviors and their imp impulsivity, which we'll often see among people who later develop attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. And for example, we know with ADHD that people with ADHD untreated are three times more likely to be involved in illegal drug use. And then there are other personality markers like people who are prone to feeling more hopeless, people who are more sensitive to anxiety, and then sensation seeking or people who are more prone to boredom. And in those studies, if you can identify the 90% of people who are the highest risk, you can try to intervene. And there are some manualized treatments where people use cognitive behavioral uh, treatments where you look to identify people's thoughts and make them more adaptive as opposed to maladaptive thoughts, you can kind of get ahead of the curve because a lot of what we've talked about is very reactive. I mean, the tragedy, the trauma, the problems are so, are so ingrained. Agreed. We're, I, I mean, preventative is always preferred to reactive. Um, unfortunately, we are constantly running in crisis mode. Uh, 
putting out fire, so to speak, uh, as these patients are brought in, agitated, violent, and it's it's uh, it's a scary place, but it's a it's a necessary place. Uh, hopefully, down the line, we can move towards more more of a preventative model. Well, I want to thank you, Dr. Salahi, very much. I mean, you use the term safety net, and that's very much a good description for kind of the work you're doing. You're keeping society safe, even if temporarily, and dealing with that problem in real time and on the front line. So it's been a really interesting discussion, and I hope we'll be able to continue this discussion and move towards more hopeful and preventative treatments. You're listening to Mental Reality with Dr. Beach, and please stay tuned to my next episode. <laughs>